Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Bible Discoveries, The Weekend Show. Guys, we've made it. This is our final episode of 2023. We have made it through the scriptures. Congratulations, happy almost new year. Let me know if you have plans down below. I'm always interested to see and hear other people's new year's plans from boring to exciting. I, li mm. I like it all. Anyway, if this is your first time here, my name is Corey. We go through the Bible in a year on Bible Discovery Daily Show. And here on The Weekend Show, we discuss big topics that pop up as we're reading through the scripture. And we also aim to discuss some of your comments and questions as well. So Matlock, mm. what were we supposed to read this well, week? Well, we we're supposed to read Revelation 8 to 22. Yeah, finishing now, off the year. Finishing off the year, that's right. And I hope you did. We have a lot of questions pertaining to it. You know, from like COVID, is COVID one of the plagues? Right, 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 right. What does the C mean, stuff like that? But our big question is revolving around eschatology as a whole. And that is, what should we believe about the future? Which eschatological view is correct? Right, and right, right, it. right. But I think that we got so many questions today, but there's short answers in my mind. Sure, So yeah. I think we should just hit all the questions. Fair and enough. Go, go straight to the big question as fast as we can. We'll see. <laughs> you can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread yeah. man. That? <laughs> we'll see, yeah. We'll see. All right. Revelation. Revelation. Okay, Matt, look, this question is for you. All right. It is a viewer question from Alicia. Mm. Could COVID be one of the plagues in Revelation? No. Next question. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. but to be fair, no, no, while, we were, while we were in the beginning of yes. COVID, I think this was a more pertinent question, yes, right? Was. Because no one was really sure what it was. It was really nebulous. All the governments right. were really reacting large right. and in charge. Right. So I think well, I think here, here's the reason why I think this question is still pertinent. It's because uh, everyone at the time was saying that it was. The seat, seat, Some it, people were. Yeah, yeah. right. Not Sorry, you're right. Some <laughs> people were saying... That COVID, see, it's in Revelation, it's here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're t telling yeah. people about it. And then the, you know, the numbers come out and you say, actually, it really that wasn't that much worse than the flu. And all these things, these things come out that kind of debunk that idea that it was one yeah, of the plagues of Revelation. Yeah, it definitely does not. I, you know what? That's the benefit of time. Yes. Whenever you're in a situation where you think something perfectly aligns with biblical prophecy, you have to hold that tension where you're like, okay, maybe we'll wait and see how this plays out. Because there has to be... Like time will tell all tales. Right. You know, as as time goes on, you'll be able to look and evaluate, okay, yes, this could be it. Right. Or no. Because the way that COVID was forecasted at the beginning sounded like it could be very devastating. Yes. And then as we moved more through it, we're like, okay, it does not line up. Yes. With no, any I, of these I totally agree with you. I think the key yeah. thing to remember there is tension. People don't like having tension at all. They don't we like We just want to know. We just want to know now and yeah. to really, but it's like, no, so much of the Bible. So much of it is living in tension and how to, and how to work through that tension yeah. and how to live despite, right? Whether that's a tension in knowledge, like about theological knowledge, or it's a tension of, you know, in this case, it's eschatology. Yeah. Right? How does this, how do these things work? And then eventually, like we saw with Christ, with his first coming, oh, there was a whole bunch of things that made sense now. That, that people had, they had no clue what it meant with Christ's first coming. Yeah. There's all this tension and debate about what it meant. All of a sudden Christ comes and everyone's like, look, it makes sense of all these scriptures here. Yeah. So then scripture yeah. was fulfilled, which, you know, at the time <clears throat> of the second temple period, they had no clue. Yeah. So it's like, so, the, but now that, you know, hindsight is 2020, now that we see that those are fulfilled by Christ, it makes it easier to see what, what's to come, if that makes yes. sense. Yes, definitely. And you know what? Um, we can bear those tensions 
Right. Because we do have, we can bear the uncertainty because we do have a certainty. We have, we have quite a few certainties, right? When you're going through times of turmoil, like it, it, it's a common Christian saying and biblical saying because it's true where God is on the throne still. No matter what you're going through, God is on the throne. God is sovereign. Nothing surprises him. Nothing can separate you or I from the love of Christ. Nothing. Nothing can. So those things, that that hope for that anchors our soul, that firm foundation that we have can weather us and see us through a lot of uncertainty and a lot of storms. So I just mm. wanted to add that, no, that encouragement good. in there. Corey, let me ask you another question sure. related to this. Yep. It's from Kevin. Can Revelation 13, 16 to 17 refer to the universal mandate of the vaccine? 13, 16 to 17. Right. Now, uh, to spice this up, because I know... <clears throat> Can this refer to a universal mandate of a vaccine? So I know this is applied to the vaccine that was coming out during right, COVID. Right. Um, but to make it more broad on this on this side of things, can it refer to a universal mandate of a vaccine? Right. right. So verse 16 says, verse 16 to 17 says, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that none can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast and the number of its name. Now, I don't think that, like the COVID vaccine absolutely was not. What, what made people really uncomfortable, and I think rightly so, I think we are rightly uncomfortable with this, was the concept of it being mandated, of it having to be, um, you know, you couldn't go to work in some cases unless you had it. You couldn't provide for your family, right? There, uh, you couldn't go visit your loved ones in certain cases. Um, now, luckily, where we were in Canada, there was there was legal ways around this, but it still was wild. It was a wild time. And I think it, it gave a lot of people pause because of this, because because in Revelation, there seems to be something like this, where unless you buy into this, um, this belief system, mm. you're going to be cut off. And I think a lot of us had a hard time imagining that ever being real in the Western world. And so when that happened with the COVID vaccine mandates, that was, it, it hit too close to home. And like, was it, it, it wasn't just then and it, and it, it's not just in the future, right? But it definitely was not that. Also, the mark of the beast seems to be taken willingly, not under under false pretenses. So if something like the, the vaccine um, or a, a vaccine or whatever was going to be the mark of the beast. It has to be you're willingly buying in to this system of the beast. You're not like going to be sideswiped. Oh, I accidentally sided with Satan. Right. It's not going to be accidental, right? It's going to be, it's going to be, I know what I'm buying into here. Just like you don't accidentally receive the mark of God. You receive the mark of God because you serve God and you follow God. So I think there's, um, I think there's an important distinction there to be made. No, I think you're right, too. And I, I want to highlight something, because I know we often make it as strictly a physical mark that you're getting, and it has to be because you're buying and selling, but it's not just a physical mark, because this is, it's also, as you're highlighting, what you worship and who you worship. Yes. Because this relation where it says, <laughs> Excuse me. Um, to be a mark on the right hand or the forehead mm -hmm. is a direct parallel to the Jewish Shema in Deuteronomy yes. 6 where it says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. 
And that has to do with the word of God and living your, loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, right? Yeah. So the point- It's a replacement of the true worship system. Exactly. So unless you worship the beast, right. you can't- and, and again, this isn't secret worship. This is real and turning not, to- Right. But it, it, even still with that, we have to be careful not to be like- Because um, there are some people who might not even consciously know that they're worshiping Satan. For instance, Satanists. Satanists. Sure, but I'm talking right. about Christians. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. But in general, though, but like in, so it's like there are people who will be um, possibly set up for deception yep. and not knowing that they're serving the, serving the beast, but they are serving the beast. Sure. And they have to be consciously aware, test yourselves whether or not you're in the faith, right? Following Christ diligently, following his word and all those things. So as long as you're being unstained from the world, right? I think that you're going to be okay. But if you're like, involved in the world and doing all the worldly stuff, it might be more difficult to discern whether or not it's Satan or not. Mm-hmm. I think that's the scary part. So don't be a weak Christian, be a full, strong Christian, and then this won't really even apply to you, if that makes sense. It won't be, be a big stumbling block for you uh, if it were to come in our lifetime. Now, um, Corey. Yep. I, this question, uh, if you want to ask me this question, I'll deal with the next one, which is related to, because it's the next one. It's Revelation uh, 13, 18. You want me to ask you that one? Yeah, ask me this one. Okay, Matlock, this one's from Raj. And Raj asks, what is the meaning of 666 in end times prophecy? Right. So that's at the end there of the next verse. It's literally the next verse. And I wanted you to ask me the question because I realized your name was everywhere. And I was like, you can't. I can't ask you all the questions. Oh, Matt so I'm just taking it on myself. He wrote the list, not uh, me. So <laughs> let's just clear that up right now. I wasn't trying to hog right. the episode. <laughs> so let me just read it again. So, okay, we just talked about what it means to get the mark of the beast. It's, but it's yeah. not just a physical marker. It's a spiritual and physical marker. Yeah, it's a right? way of life, It's right? a way of life, right? You're, in, you're involving yourself it's into this, the system of the beast, right? Yeah. So that no one can buy or sell has the mark, right? And that's the name of the beast. It's on his name. Uh... This calls for wisdom. This is verse 18. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Now, I've heard this explained many ways, and there's different interpretations for 666. Yeah, a lot. I've heard people say that it's Nero. I've heard people say that, you know, since it's the number of man, six is the number of man. We're made in the sixth day. So it's man, 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 like an unholy trinity. Yeah. And that's the side I more so lean with, that this has to do with... um mankind almost like a, a humanism where mankind makes itself its own unholy trinity um to be worshipped and that is the beast using man for that thinks it's elevating mankind mankind thinks it's elevating itself but really it's elevating the beast and the beast is using that to his own advantage yeah so that's how i take <clears throat> Take that to me. I agree. I I lean towards the like the unholy trinity right. replacing because it's it's already gone through the worshiping the replacement of it. I think it's also worth noting that with that with that word calculate there, if you if you use the Hebrew characters for beast and Nero Caesar, and then you calculate that using Jewish geometria or geometria, Gematria. however you, however you say that, yeah. always pronounce it wrong. Always. Gematria. Thank I you. Think. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> uh, Anyways. It, it, th- those add up to 666. So there's those who say, you know, the beast in Nero Caesar uh, revelation was completely fulfilled in the time of Nero with the persecution of Nero and the execution of Paul 
and Peter. And while I think there's some really, really interesting parallels to that, there's a, there is a great many scholars who see that as a partial fulfillment and a type of a greater beast and yes. um, antichrist that will come. So someone who is, again, like Nero, sees, like, like Nero the, the emperor of Rome, but on a bigger, grander scale that will usher in you know, Revelation yeah. 21 and 22, and the new heavens and the new earth. I, I think that makes the most sense given the context. Because in Revelation, it does go to the new heavens and new earth. So it's weird to have it from Nero to skip 2,000 years to have this. So it's like Revelation is a pattern yeah. that is telling you. It's, it's, it's a huge symbolic book yeah. that's full of spiritual patterns that are happening in reality. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this pattern's happening then, and it can also happen again. Yeah. And I think that's the, what you described is the right way to look at it. It's a double entendre. It means then, but it also means it's going to happen again. Yeah, I definitely land there as well. Yeah. Um, but I know that some people don't, and then they then they interpret the right. they they interpret the rest of Revelation a different way. I, I think the precedent for it too is the first and second coming of Christ. Yeah. Everyone thought it was going to be one coming. Yeah. But then there was a first coming, and everyone's like, "What do you mean there's a first coming? Because mm -hmm. he had to die, and then there's a second coming." Mm -hmm. So. And that's the reason why they thought there might have been two messiahs, a king and a priest. Yes. Like they, were, they were confused by it, the yes. second different period. So my point is, is that if we were willing to say there's a first and then a second coming, based on all the data at the time, it lends itself to being a double entendre a lot of the time in these texts. Yes. Even Matthew 24 uh, especially because Especially because of the time when the book of Revelation was being written, Nero Caesar was already dead and gone. Yes. Right? And 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 so is he looking back in the past and writing strictly a historical yeah. document or is he trying to explain right. what is going right, to happen some, a lot based of, off of what a has lot of happened people typologically? Who, it's interesting to think about. I think most scholars believe Revelation was written in 98 uh, AD. Yep. But... There are some scholars who believe, and they're typically Reformed scholars who believe that it was written before AD 70. But I think that is only to maintain a preterist approach to Revelation. Right. I think that's the reason why they hold that view. I don't think that's their motivation. I don't even but, think the Gospel of John was written before AD 70. Right, well, there you go. Anyway, so that's all open. That's all speculation. and um, It's interesting. It's, it's an interesting dating thing. Interesting to yeah. thing to debate about. But let's move For on. For sure. Let's move on. Okay. For sure. Revelation 16. Okay? It's a Bible question. Yes. Will people suffer God's wrath if they do not believe in the pre-tribulation rapture? No. Why not? No. Because, because no Christian is going to suffer the wrath of God. That's what we've been saved from. Right? So there's a there's this weird conflation that happens in dispensational theology. And I'm not trying to throw dispensational theology under the boat or under the bus. Out of the boat? Under the bus. I'm mixing metaphors. <laughs> I'm not trying to throw them under the bus here, but there's this weird, when you're talking to people who are of the dispensational persuasion, meaning they believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, um, a lot of times they'll say, but we weren't destined to experience the wrath of God. But that, that's not, no one thinks that. Like, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that God is storing up wrath for anyone who doesn't believe in a certain event that may or may not happen based on scripture, right? Like like the timing of that event. Right. We all believe in a rapture and that we believe that Jesus is coming back and we'll meet Jesus. New heavens, new earth and all that. Stuff. Yeah, we all believe, all Those Christians believe that. Right. All Christians believe that. So we all believe in a rapture. It's just the timing of the rapture and, and, and we all believe Christ <coughs> is coming back and that we're going to meet him. Okay, that's what I mean by that. 
but the wrath of God is dispensed at the great white throne judgment, right? The wrath, the wrath of God is that. So a lot of times we see that, um, I think there's this, there's a conflation with the tribulation being the wrath of God and the great tribulation is not the wrath of God. It's when power is given to the beast um, and he wreaks havoc. That's right. Well, and we see this in chapter 17, verse 6. And I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints. Yes. The blood of the martyrs of Jesus. In other words, you see that there's Christians who are getting martyred yeah. during the Great Tribulation. So I don't know how you can... Well, well, because in dispensational theology, they say, well, those are the people who become Christians after the rapture because of the rapture. But I think you, mm. that, um, but right. there's no evidence for that within the text here. No. At all. No. If we're being fair. No. Right. <clears throat> Anyways, but I would say that there is that happening. There right is then. what happening, sorry. Uh, there's martyrdom happening. There's a great tribulation yeah. happening. And it's coming from, back to your point humans who are killing for their own sake mm -hmm. right it's not or to say the beast working through people because they've given themselves over to the beast right um it is not god's wrath so they're that the two don't mix god's wrath is different from right from uh the wrath of men we can say um Anyways. Yes. Okay. I'm going to move on. I'm, I'm looking for something, but what? I'm going to move on and ask you a question. Am I asking you a question? No, I'm going to ask you a question, Corey. Okay, then. It's related to <laughs> I what I just not read. Look. Okay, perfect. Okay. All right. So, Revelation 17, verse 6. It's, mm -hmm. it's from Norm. Viewer question. When the scripture says, drunken on the blood of the saints, in Revelation 17, 6, mm -hmm. as an identifying marker for Babylon the Great, does the number of aborted unborn in America qualify as her getting drunk of the blood of the saints versus the actual martyring of the living elect. Could you share, uh, we, me, what you believe that scripture says? Yes. Share with me, he meant to say. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. <clears throat> I'm grabbing it here. That's good. All right. Um, yeah, so it's the great prostitute right. and the beast. Right. And then the, so I'm going to read verses four to six. Sure. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a cup full of abominations <coughs> and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forearm was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So, Norm, I think this is very clear that it is people who have lost their lives. They've been murdered because they are Christians. So, no, I do not believe that the number of aborted unborn children in America are the blood of the saints that Babylon the Great is drunk on. Hear me now. I am pro-life staunchly but i think that if what john if john intended to mean the lives of innocent children he would have said the blood of the innocent because yeah. when we go back to old testament prophets they talk a lot about the blood of the innocent uh they charge israel 
even with um, being stained with the blood of the innocent, right? And Judah being stained with the blood of the innocent and their leaders. Um, but this is very clear language. So no, I know that there is a teaching going out around there that equates America with Babylon and then says, well, America may not be martyring saints, but they're definitely martyring children, which I don't think we should, I, we, we can't confuse those two things. Very wrong to do. I'm staunchly pro-life, guys, staunchly. I believe life begins at conception. It is always wrong to murder a baby. It just is. But that's not what this is talking about. This is, it, he, he qualifies it t twice. Drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So those who have lost right. their lives because they have allied themselves with Jesus. And, and so this is also a poetic irony because when we drink on communion, we drink the blood of Christ, right? Which is wine, yep. which has alcohol in it. The concept here, you remember 1 Corinthians, uh, what is it, 11, where the people are uh, improperly drinking and dying? Yeah. So this idea here is that like, they're uh, in a contrast and an opposing force to communion, these people are literally drinking the blood of the saints, uh, imbibing it and getting drunk off of it. So yeah. it's kind of like, a, it's, a, it's a parallel. Well, as, and then, so this this isn't unique to John, right? So, right. Or, or I'll just say Revelation, okay? This isn't unique to Revelation. This is drawing on, like that that imagery, mm. it's, it's drawing on communion, but it's also drawing on imagery of, uh, you know, Christ in, of, of the Son of Man and, and, and um, he, he's going to do it again in Revelation. John's going to do it again in Revelation where, um, you know, we see this image of the Son of Man of Christ treading <coughs> the nations like a wine press, and their blood yes. is 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 the product yes. of the wine press, right? And then we also have the um, we also have wine sometimes being called the blood of grapes. So we have that vivid imagery yes. there. Um, so the fact that she's drunk on the blood of the saints makes a lot of sense. It it ties in with all oh, that yeah, for imagery. sure. That's great. Yeah. Oh, I think that's good. Okay, Matlock, Revelation yeah. 20. All right. Uh, this is a viewer question from oh. Walter. Okay. And Walter says, your statement of faith claims that God will literally reign on earth for a thousand years. Where in the Bible does it say that? And why do you believe it? Okay. Thanks. So our statement of faith did say that. We have updated statement of faith. It no longer says that. Uh, and the reason why it no longer says that is because uh, when Christ returns... Um, now, Corey and I believe in, we lean towards um, historic premillennialism, which means that Christ would literally reign for a thousand years. Okay, so, but having said that, when Christ returns, him reigning for a thousand years is neither here nor there, because with him comes the new heavens and new earth. It's not really, like, the, 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 the number of how long he reigns for is technically forever. Mm -hmm. So whether or not there's an earthly mediation point is negligible. And a thousand years is, is is a lot like saying 40 years, right? Or like right. 40 days and 40 nights. It's a long time. It's a long time. It means like perfect. But it doesn't have to be like 10, exactly 1,000 years to the day. Right. Maybe not. I don't know. Right. It's it's the trinity of completion. You have 10, <laughs> yeah. which means completion, times 10 times 10, right? It's a completion. Anyways, so it's like, so I recognize that people have always taken that word a thousand to be symbolic. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but despite that, regardless if it's symbolic or it's not, it's just, it's not fundamental to the faith about whether or not he reigns for a thousand years, because technically he's reigning forever. So it has, it has no yes. bearing, it has no bearing on if, you know, 
it's going to be a thousand years. Because part of this way, once Christ returns, right, regardless of this pre-trib rapture or not, it doesn't matter. Once Christ returns, I think things are in good shape. Like I think we're in good shape. We're, we're in good shape. We're in good shape. So because we're returning in bodies, it's not, it's not like a spiritual, ambiguous, foggy return where people really don't know. Everyone's going to know. So at that point, like whether or not it's a thousand years of like a middle zone, right? And you know, and then it transits towards the new heaven to earth. I'm not too hey, concerned. Then with. we're going to have the perfect teacher. Yeah, you that's know? right. We can ask him all the questions once he's here. <laughs> we're golden, guys. That's right. So. I'm not too concerned with it because at the end of the day, the whole, the, what needs to be mandatory and that cannot change that God, Jesus Christ is returning in the flesh and body, right? With, uh, with his army in the heavens and he's going to unite the heavens and earth like it used to be, but it's going to be better and there'll be a new heavens, new earth and life's going to be golden. So I don't know why we're debating and, and getting angry at each other over, over a time period that's supposed to be bliss anyways. Like he's reigning forever. So I don't know. So to me, it's, it's, not a well, fun, it's not fundamental to the faith. It's not fundamental not for the fundamental faith, but it faith. does change the way you view eschato yeah. eschatology, oh, right? And like does. the way that things but, happen. Right. But that's what I yeah. mean. It's not fundamental. So that's the reason why it, it was removed from the statement of faith, because it's not fundamental. And statement of faiths need to be fundamental. Like this is what you, you can't budge on this issue kind of thing. But you um, also wrote an article on this, didn't you? Yes, I wrote an article. I did write an article on this. <coughs> but whether or not it is a thousand years or not. That's yeah. on our website. It's on our website. Right? So yes. it has a lot of scripture references and, and all the different things to... Yeah. And, you know, I, I'll post that in the comment section. It was my, I think it was one of my first articles I ever wrote. Yeah, it's question number two. Our first... When we started answering was questions. Was it? Yeah. Either way. Yeah. Oh, um, he, he asked where, where it's... At, well, I mean, it's in Revelation 20. It yes. references the thousand years and That's there's right. a few other... There's a few other places where people so, draw from, but all that is in the article if they want to look. Yes, it's in the article. But I'll read it for the, the viewers here sure. and, we'll, and then we'll move on. So Revelation 20, let's get it up here. Um, as you can tell, it's even called the thousand years. Um, uh, let me see the exact verse. Yeah, I think it's six. There it is. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Right. So when people talk... And this is during what once Satan is bound. This is what Satan is bound. So this is... Right, exactly. So um, uh, this is the reason why people have... We call it premillennium, right? Postmillennium, amillennium because of dealing with the thousand years, right? It, do you believe that there's no thousand years, a millennial? So therefore it's, um, it's, a, it's a symbolic thousand, meaning when the time has completed itself, when all the Gentiles have fully come in, essentially. Um, if you're post-millennial, you believe that there is a literal thousand years, but uh, it's um, Christ spiritually reigning through us, and then Christ returns at the end of that thousand years, right? It sits at the, uh, it's like a future triumph it's, of Christ it's a future in a Christianized world. Exactly. That's a good yeah. way of describing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, post-mill is that Christ returns beforehand, and then it's a thousand years with him before the new heavens and earth are established. So that, those are the differences. But it's all based on this thousand-year thing. Um, but anyways, I think that kind of... I've already... Oh, we've over, gone over what the question asked for. Perfect. So let's just go <laughs> to the next question. Go yes. On. All right. Uh, Revelation 21. This is from Eowyn. I know that there are animals in heaven based on the creatures as mentioned in the book of Revelation. But what happens to our pets here on Earth? Are we going to be reunited with all of our fur babies there? Corey, will our fur babies be in heaven? We need a yes and no 
answer. There's no maybes. There's no. It depends. I don't know. Oh, okay, well, that's I'm not sorry, Matlock. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sorry, okay, Awen. I don't know. That's fair. I don't know. We know there's animals in heaven. We know there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. We know that there's a resurrection from the dead. Does that include the actual same animals here? I don't know. A lot of people like to point to um, <coughs> the the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Noah, where God talks about him requiring, um, like giving a judgment to animals who take human blood. Uh, so some people look at that and they're like, that's really interesting. That that might mean that animals are a part of the resurrection. It's possible. It could also mean that that um, like God will judge them in the here and now. Uh, I don't know. I think there I think there are animals. I just don't know the full context about yes. specifically fur babies and how that works. Possibly like I'd uh, like to think so. I'd but, like to think so. I, but I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. The 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 word soul in Hebrew, uh, animals are said to have a soul. So nefesh, okay? So they, they have a soul. How that works... Yeah, life that's different than plant life. Yeah. Yes. How that works, I don't know. Okay? I don't know either. Don't know. I wish I had solid yeah. answers for you, but right. I do but look, not. God is good. God is just. And whatever it is, when we're at that at that, that stage in We're going to be okay with it. We're going to be good with that if God chooses. So yes. I think, I think yes. we're okay. It is really interesting too. Like if you think about, if you think about the way things were in Eden, where we had the responsibility over, over animals and mm. like didn't, we, we were supposed to take dominion and keep evil away from them. So then that question, like in the new heavens and the new earth, is that still a part of the new heavens and the new new earth, or is there a different system? Interesting thing, things to think about, but we can't say with a definite yes or no, unfortunately. Right. Let's move on, Corey. Yeah, let's move on. Okay, Matlock. All right, Linda. From Revelation chapter 21, she says, okay, so does this mean all the fish and sea creatures died? Is this starting of new heaven and new earth? In the new earth, there aren't any oceans. Right? Okay. So the question is, there's no oceans because all the fish have died and all these other things. Okay, so um, I don't think that that's true, necessarily. I don't think the Bible's teaching that there's no oceans in the new heavens and new earth. I don't think it's teaching that there's no sea. There's just Cause, okay, wait, wait, wait. Because Revelation 21 verse 1 says, yes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, just for some context. Yes. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Yes, exactly. That's what we're talking about. So what does the sea mean? Well, we really did the, the beast comes out of the sea, right? He's got one foot in the sea, one foot in the, in the ocean. The sea is representative of death. Um, I've just, we've described this so many times actually throughout this year. Yeah. That the sea, right, the sea represents death and the separation of mankind. So like uh, from God. And so that's Hades, right? People stuck in death and they can't escape this primordial um, uh, uh, fluid that, uh, fluid's not a good word. Primordial substance that like, separates mankind from ourselves yeah, and like from God. Rebellion and yes. danger. It's the, the waves chaos. are roaring. It's chaos is a great word. Right? So it's like, anyways, so the point here to be said is, is that that's what the sea is. So when it says there's no more sea, it's not what mean like oceans. It's talking about the sea that's death. The, the like primordial be, chaos. That's sea. right. There'll be no more <laughs> there'll be no more death. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And uh it even everything's going to be ordered. Everything's going to be under the right. control of God and His people. And I think there's actually a line here that just flat out says it. But it's been a while since I've looked at this one. Either way, um, I, I think that is the, the basic answer to the question. Um, it's not. It's not referring to oceans. 
literal oceans. Yeah, it's referring to the sea that the beast stepped out of, and the beast didn't step out of the literal ocean. He stepped out of that the the sea of like chaos and death and rebellion yeah. of humanity. So all of those bad things, and and this. Um, like you said, we talked about it a lot on the program, and this this imagery goes way back. Right. Um, throughout the Old Testament, you can read about it in the Psalms, you can read about it in Isaiah. The flood. The flood. He made the whole world death. Yeah. Right. That's the whole point. Chaos. The chaos. Judgment. There was no more order. Right? The, the, the earth was without form and void. It was yeah. just a, a whole thing of water. That 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 concept there. It was it was chaos. It was just like. Uh, the epitome of what represents death to yeah this minds. inherent uncontrollable danger yes yeah. right yeah, you couldn't tame the sea that you, right anyways yeah. so I think only that, God could and that's why it's like, like so significant that he can like tame the water, beast and walk like, on water calm and all the waves of these things and the wind. yeah of yeah it's a really interesting study when you yeah. look into the symbolism of water and the sea and and how it all ties throughout the Old and New Testament. It's actually really amazing. I know, I love study. it. You should. I know. I have it written down in my docket, the nautical I theology. I vote you should. I will. I will do it. a deep study on it. It's very fun. Okay, Corey. Yes. So that was pretty quick, actually. Pretty quick. Yeah, I yeah. hope we did them justice as we, I think as so. we went through. But Okay, so the big question. The big question. Well, we talked about this already. Yeah. What should we believe about the future? Which eschatological view is correct? And okay. eschatological or eschatology means future things. Yes. Okay? So the, the study like, of yes. future things. Yes. Um, so anyways, Corey, so how should we believe about, like, how should we go about this, this whole future Carefully. Stuff? Carefully. And it, we already kind of talked <laughs> really about it. Really carefully. And and I don't mean because, I don't mean because I, I think views are dangerous. That's not what I'm talking <coughs> about when I say carefully. I, I, I think we need to go about it carefully because we risk becoming um, proud um, and arrogant. We need to approach, I believe we need to approach eschatology with a level of humility because we don't know fully what it means. We can know all the words of scripture. And I think we should, I think we should look into these things. I think we should debate these things openly. Um, and, and, and we should know where the goalposts are in terms of what does the Bible actually say. I What's think there's, fundamental? Yeah. You know, what can you not bend on? Exactly. Right. We need to know where the goalposts are. But we have to be really careful that we're not creating new, we're not creating rules of belief that Jesus didn't put on us or that the right. apostles didn't put on us, that the New Testament doesn't put on us. Um, and I mean, this, this, this comparison is made often. I know it's not new, but I think it's good, right? When we look at Jesus in, in his generation, when he, when he came, they were not expecting his work. They were expecting a Messiah, but not one like Christ. Right. They expected Christ to do other things. I mean, look at John 6. After he provides the manna, what do they do? They want to take him by force and make him king. Right, because they they found themselves in a very similar situation to that when they were when when they were enslaved in Egypt. <coughs> right, they were they saw themselves as slaves to Rome, even though they had more rights than right. the slaves in Egypt did. And then along, God uh, has this prophet Moses come along and and rescue them and and split the water and provide manna in the wilderness. And now all of a sudden, here comes this prophet, and he gives them bread in the wilderness and walks on water greater than Moses, right? Greater than Elijah in second Kings four, I think who, who also multiplied barley bread. 
And, and um, they wanted something very specific, but most of them rejected Jesus because he was like, that's not what I'm here for. It's written of me in the prophets, but you've misunderstood them. Right. Right. So we are not above misunderstanding the right. the Bible. So we have to approach this with a lot of humility. Uh, another thing that pastors often bring up that I think <coughs> is a really good corrective is that every time we've thought that Christ was returning or the Antichrist was here, we've been wrong. That huh. doesn't mean that there that Christ isn't going to come and that one of these times we're going to be right and it is the Antichrist because one of these times Christ is going to reject, right? Eventually it's going to happen, but it should be very humbling to us where great men and women of God can be wrong mm. and therefore we can be wrong. Yeah. We have to be really careful because we, because we've seen so much division happen over your view on the end times Yes, where people like anathematizing you or saying like, you're not really a Christian brother or sister because you don't believe this. Whoa. Your salvation isn't dependent on when or how you think Christ is returning. Right. Your salvation is on who you believe Christ to be. Right. And if you're following him with your life. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. It's not about like the when, the details. It's like, okay, we know Christ is returning. That's yes. the point. Yes. But it's like, but that's in God's hands. What did Christ say? I, I don't even know the day of the hour. Mm -hmm. So it's like, so what are we doing here? This so, is, yeah, this is also something that for some reason... And I think it's because it makes it it makes people feel like the Bible is present and now mm. for them mm. that this people can become really obsessed yes. with Revelation and Daniel and Ezekiel and eschatology in general, mm -hmm. right? People yeah. can become really unhealthily obsessed with this. This is all they're thinking about. This is all they're talking about. This is the only kind of Bible study that they want to do. And that creates a really unbalanced faith. Right. And like I said, I, I have a suspicion that it's because it makes your faith feel real and relevant, but you don't have to go to eschatology for your faith to be real and relevant. If you're reading the whole counsel of the Bible, if you're reading the Old Testament and the New Testament, you're realizing that your very life, your actions, your day-to-day -day actions, your faith can be real in those ways. Right. It doesn't have to be happening right in front of you. And I'm not even saying that Bible prophecy is not being fulfilled. That's not even what I'm saying. Right. But no, I, we should not be. We should be careful not to become unhealthily yes, obsessed with it. I agree with you. And uh, Justin Martyr, in dealing with this issue, who believed in historic premillennialism, by the way, he believed that we're going to go through the tribulation yeah. and then Christ will reign for a thousand years after that. Um, he said that. Listen, that's my view, but there's other people who have different views, and that, and but we're still brothers. He said that. I'm paraphrasing, but he, that's what he said. In other words, so even just, he lived during the, for anyone who doesn't know, he lived literally during the time of like the immediate apostles. So like, that's a pretty big statement to say. To say that yes. like, like the end of time, we really don't, we, we're foggy on the details, but we, here's what we think. I and mean, there's room for a different interpretation there. Yeah. Right. And you know what's going to get you through the end times, regardless of what it ends up being, is having a solid faith. Yes. Is knowing the scripture, not just the end bits, yes. but all the bits. Yes. You know, and you're not going to be deceived if you know the bits. If you know right. all of it and you're you're working your salvation out with God where you're you're praying and, and you're letting God deal with you, then you're not right. going to be deceived and, it, and it's going to be okay. I think there's a danger too in just believing in something that's not necessarily true. Right. As if it is true. In other words, right. it's okay to believe in something like, I believe this might be true. Because you're saying, 
you're giving it an edge, edge of doubt in your belief. That's different. What we're saying is if you believe that something that could be true is true, mm-hmm. that can be dangerous mm-hmm. because there's different views on the table and God has not revealed to us what is actually true. Yeah. Therefore, you can't say, I believe this is true because there's God has not made that established that, that it is true. So what, you're, what you end up doing is you end up putting your own version of the truth above what is actually true right now. God's not revealed to you that these details are going to happen in this certain way. Yeah. And that's a really dangerous thing to do. Okay, so I also, that that reminded me, I, I also read, and I wish I could remember where, because I've read a few books on like the different the different options and teachings when it comes to eschatology. Right. Maybe I'll go back and try to find it. But um, I found very humbling the the concept that depending on where you were in history, depending on what history the church was going to, going through at the time, determined the majority view on eschatology. Right. So in times of persecution, people tended more towards um, historic premillennialism. Right. And in times of great, you know, progress for the church and times of peace, people tended more towards amillennialism right. and postmillennialism. Right. And the details were, um, yeah. It, That's so it, interesting. It's really interesting right. where we we are we are not above the times and places that right. God has placed us in. Right? <coughs> right. And and that that should be a humbling factor as well, that our culture and what we're going through, and there's lots of mini cultures within our big culture as yeah, well, right. right? So your personality even can impact the way the way that you're understanding or or you're believing about the end times or what you're hoping for the end times. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that go in there that we just gotta be humble and carefully approach it. Where, you know. There is a truth. God is, Christ is coming back and it's going to happen mm. in the way that he wants it to happen. That's right, yeah. God is on the throne. God is sovereign. It's going to happen. And we can talk about the details. Right. We can debate about the details. And I think that's healthy as long as we don't hate each other right. because we believe different things about it. And that's, and that's what I'm saying. So I think there's a danger in saying, I believe this to be true when it's not necessarily true. Yeah. Because... What God has established to be true, or for us to know is true, that's what, that needs to be cherished, mm-hmm. right? That needs to be uh, holy. That needs to be distinct yeah. from things that we think is true. That needs that, that that's so clear. Even Paul says that I, you know, when he gives concessions versus commands, this is the Lord, not I, or this is I, not the Lord. He makes it very clear when there's a difference between the two. Um, so I think it's like for me, it's like okay, what's the function of belief? This gets a little bit deeper. Maybe we can go to the. We don't have to go down this route, but this is for me. What's the, what's the, before the fall, what's the function of belief? And in the fall, what is the function of belief? Like what is, what is the purpose of it? When God created us to believe in things, why? Like why did he make it in this way? And it, it, in my head, I immediately go to, okay, well, what is the point of belief? It's to grab onto truth, to, to grip the truth. The truth is independent of you, but the point of belief is to grip onto the truth. So that's, it's not you, but you can grip onto it. And the tighter you grip onto it, the more of a grip that you have on it, right? The, the more assurance you have that you're holding onto the truth, essentially. The looser your grip is it. So my, in my head, there's a danger in when you grip on something as if it's true and it's not true. Because then you get a feel for something that's not true as if it's true. And then you start adopting other false beliefs as if they're true. And it, I, I, in my head, it can kind of steamroll. 
That's me. So I, I always caution about believing in things that are that you want to be true as if they're true. I think that's obvious. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, believe like you, you read the early creeds. Like they were very clear. Like they, they did not go too far, not to go too less. We believe the Holy Spirit, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that Christ will return in body and, and judge the world. Mm-hmm. We all believe these things. Mm-hmm. So it's like, but when we start getting down to like, oh, do you, if you don't believe that Christ is reigning for a thousand years on earth before the new heavens and earth come, therefore you're, you know, you're condemned or therefore you're not truly a Christian, therefore, right? It's like, well, you're going too far. You've made, right. you've or made you're a lesser own... Christian because you don't, you're, you're misinterpreting the Bible. Oh, that's right. Like you've missed yeah. something really fundamental because you're now placing your own views as God. Yeah. As if God said that specifically. It's like, well, hold on here. Like, let's be very careful. They're not rejecting the core essentials of the faith. And a lot of these debates come down to that. What is the core essentials of the faith? Mm-hmm. And how we make sure that we maintain that and not deviate from the core essentials by creating our own new core essentials, adding yeah. on to it. Yeah. Well, and and that's how we hypothetically keep unity in the body of Christ. That's exactly right? how we do it. That, yeah. that, we, that we all have our core beliefs about Christ solid. That's right. And then we can talk about everything else. So, Corey, now with that talk, which view is technically right? <laughs> which <laughs> my is, view, my, of course. View, of course, yeah. of course, my view, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's me, yeah. Uh, I know who I'm going to ask, though, when I get there. Yeah. There you go. Mm. Just saying. There you go. Right. <laughs> Just saying. Well. What do you guys think? Where are you leaning? Are you, or are you like a diehard dispensationalist or a diehard post-millennialist or, or like, do you hate this discussion that we just had or do you love it? Let us know. Also, if you have any ideas or questions that you want us to tackle next year moving forward, let us know down in the comment section below. And until next week and next year, happy reading and happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high-quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under Donate. Your support really means a lot to us.